Welcome to No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. I'm Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times, here with Joe Henriksen from the City Suburban Hoops Report. This is episode 57. We're deep into the 2016-17 season here. Going to take a look back on a definitely the busiest weekend of the season so far. We'll do our two takes. A look at the weekend, the week ahead, which is a little lame as we get ready for state. The 1A, 2A is going to start, so we're going to take a look at that. And uh, how how was your weekend, Joe? You saw some good basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think it was a weird weekend, which we'll get into when we do our rewind. It just it, it was hyped up and it was busy, and there was some really good games and a lot of games that impacted standings and and our thoughts on them and things like that. But I, I thought it was kind of a it was a weird weekend. I, I don't know whether it uh, just kind of the that public league to that city suburban showdown back to the public league thing and things like that. So, but we'll get our two takes in, uh, and then we'll get back to, to looking back at that weekend. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're definitely right. It was like, a overall, I think it was good. But it was a 50 50 because the final four CPS final four wasn't great. It was no probably the worst one I've maybe ever covered, but the final was terrific. The final was yeah. good. And the, um, and see, I had the Joliet thing in between. So that helped because that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a great event. So yeah, it was. Yeah, you're right though. The city suburban. Let's ugh, we'll hit that later. But you want you want to. Uh, yeah, my first take, Mike. Uh, I, you know, something big is coming up here under the radar a little bit this week at Thornridge, and they are going to be honoring the 1972, the the team that everybody kind of has put a, a label as the greatest team in state history, led by Quinn Buckner. They went 33 and 0. Completely dominate everybody. It's as I dug into the research um, on this. It's amazing how dominant that team was all year long. There wasn't a game within 14 points. They won the championship game over Quincy by like 35 or 40, and it was just a an iconic team that everybody always refers and talks to. And my my take is, you know, as I looked at and I dug into the story, and they're honoring this team this Thursday against Thornton uh, at home Thursday night, and they're retiring 10 jerseys, 10 numbers uh, of guys that played not only on that team, but also who were part of the year before when they won a state championship. So they went back-to-back. But as I, I as I did this, I was talking to Rocky Hill, who's the coach at Thornridge right now, who was a sophomore on the sophomore team during those two years. That they the varsity went went oh, on that run. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, he he talked about. I asked him, and because he coached the probably two of maybe the top five teams played against or coached against since then with those unbelievable Thornton teams in the mid '90s, and then they played obviously the Peoria Manual teams that won four straight t- state titles, and he said he didn't think the Thornton team or the Peoria Manual team held a candle to the Thornridge team that won those two state championships. So that was interesting to me. And I guess I pose the question to you or just a real quick discussion. I mean, it, you and I did not see that team play live, but what, I mean, when you think of the greatest teams is, is and maybe you don't because we, you weren't watching it then, but it's, I guess it stood the test of time that a lot of people still refer to them as the greatest team. And I think back to all the teams I've watched 
and what team would it be that would I would match up against that team, whether it be the King teams, um, 19, the Jamie Brandon Selby team, or the Hamilton Griffith team, or the Whitney Young 98 team, um, the, the Proviso East team with, with the three amigos um, in more modern day here times. I mean, I mean, what's the best team that stands out to you in your time covering it religiously? Yeah, I've thought about that. You know, I did watch the 72 Thornridge team when all that stuff went up. Um, yeah, that's I mean, true. I just say I, I made a, you know, that's how big their reputation is that I made a point as soon as I could right. to, to check that out. And it was interesting because the style they play is, is fairly contemporary. You know, it's the full court, get up and down and run. Which, they have, you know, how many, how many points do you think they averaged that season? You got to take a guess. 77? 88. Wow. Yeah. You see them. And that's, <laughs> yeah, they were, so that kind of fit. It's not like as much of a stretch, you know, to right. consider and no, team and no three point line. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I was forgetting about that. Yeah. Um, my answer though is kind of weird, I, I guess. I, I always come back. I think that Marshall team in 2008, I, I thought they were special. You know, the, they don't have the yeah. names, the big names that a lot of people did, but it was like the Thornridge team to me, the style and the way they just assaulted teams offensively and defensively played so well together. I'm talking about Ryan Hare and Darius Smith. I mean, I, I just, I, I loved that team. You know, they had the real rebounder and Gators. You know, it's a stretch to say that they were the, the best I've covered, but they're the one I think about the most and that they have a, a definite style and an overwhelming kind of thing. I think they were 31 and four. If I remember correctly, they won class 3A, which was the much better. That year, it was the better. Yeah. They, they beat Simeon in the title game. You know, it was better yeah. than the Richard Zion Benton game. So that's kind of a weird answer, I guess. Obviously, you know, the Simeon year where they beat Oak Hill, that was the single best game performance I've seen. What was that, 2006? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, well, my team has always been. I, mean, I, I think the Manuel Thornton teams were just off the charts. Um, which which really struck me when Rocky said that statement, and then I have always thought that Whitney Young team in 1998, simply because that was the yeah. single best year of high school talent that I've seen in this state since I've been doing this, and for them to roll the way they did, that was the Quentin Richardson, Dennis Gates, Cordell Henry team, and they they were dominant and the, the, the teams that year, I mean, Fenwick had Corey McGetty and those guys and, uh, Maine West had Kevin Fry and Lucas Johnson and, uh, Galesburg had Joey rain. I mean, it was just a, a unbelievable elite eight. And it, 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 it's just a team that I haven't had a team that's measured up since then. Um, in, in my mind, but you know, I, I think I could totally agree with that. You know, I saw that state tournament. That was the year I saw the City Suburban, too. They played manual. Yeah. Correct? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. Yeah, that young team, that was, they were fantastic. Yeah. It, it was just, uh, you know, and, but again, I go back to, I, the, the point my take is that I think it's pretty incredible that this team from 1972 is still revered and talked about the way it is. And as a, the other team that, jumped out is the Quincy teams when they were unbelievable. And that's what you did, Mike, about Thornridge is what I did. Cause I remember going down, I went to Champaign every single year as a kid 
and with my dad and, 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 and every, just a religious, you know, <laughs> trip every week, every year. And I was just, that was the first year that the whole thing stood out to me it was this Quincy team was like, just, I mean, I thought they were the Globetrotters and I went back just like you did. And I watched those Quincy games and oh my gosh, the Bruce Douglas and Michael Payne, that Quincy team in 1981, I believe 81 or 80, yeah, 81. Just phenomenal. So I, I guess my take back to what I originally said is just that Thornridge team, 45 years later, still being talked about the way it is, is is pretty unique and special. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's a fun, it's fun topic of a conversation. Well, and we're losing this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? There's there's less people talking about it. The four classes has kind of diminished these kind of conversations. I think. Uh, you know, because we've had some great 3A teams in the past and some great 4A teams, great 3A champion, a 4A champion, like a Morgan Park or a, you know, whatever it might be. And yet we don't get to see it play out because, yeah, we, they play each other during the season. You can maybe in the city final or something like that. Yeah, but last year's a perfect example, that Altoff team and that Curie team. Yeah. I mean, we don't know who's the best team in Illinois. Because they didn't play each other. Yeah, I mean, everybody was pretty sure the year before it was Stevenson, that kind of stuff. But yeah, last year was an excellent example of what you're talking about. I mean, that would have been a great, just a fantastic finish. And one yeah, of those that, teams would have, their stature would have been elevated historically with that win. Right. And I, yeah, it's just so, a lot of that's been taken away for, with the four classes. But again, um, that's, go ahead with your take, one of yours. Yeah, my <laughs> yours was more fun. Uh, mine is uh, my first take is the city suburban showdown. Um, big event, our biggest regular season event. I think everyone will agree with that. Chicago Elite Classic is definitely, you know, it's a big event and everything, but it doesn't have the historical kind of nature. I meant to yeah, go 20, 20 years. 20 uh, that event of that has definitely been one of the best. And I've gone back and tried to remember, you know, some of the big ones. Uh, you know, we, well, we just talked about, you know, the Whitney Young Manual. I remember going to that. It's an important event. And right now it's stuck in between. It happens to be the last three years stuck in between the city final four and the city title game. And it hasn't been as much of a problem the last couple of years. It wasn't great. It, it was bad for the event. But the event was also struggling. It was struggling to find a home. It wasn't great attendance. But then this year, I don't know what it was, but Robert Morris clicked. That place, you know, they nearly filled it up. A lot of fans were there. They all managed to get there on time. Morgan Park didn't. And I think a lot of people know that I am... A lot of people think I make excuses for the the public league schools. And, I mean, since I'm close to it, I do see a lot of their struggles and troubles, and I try to explain them. I, I have nothing to explain about why Morgan Park was late. Yeah, it can be very difficult to get anywhere in Chicago at 5 o'clock. I live here. It's taken me two hours to get the six miles down western to St. Rita before. It's very obvious why teams are late sometimes. They have to wait for buses that dropped off the grammar school kids. So It's two rounds of traffic, blah, blah, blah. There wasn't any traffic to Robert Morris on Saturday. Nick Irvin didn't even try to say there was. You know, He said the bus driver got lost. Um, the three or four or 5,000 fans that were at Robert Morris all made it there on time. And I'm guessing most of them didn't live in Arlington Heights. So, I mean, there's not much of an excuse for that. So that just sets off, you know, that doesn't start things off well, <laughs> let's say. 
Then, you know, Morgan Park doesn't play their starters in the second half. Nick Irvin's always, the whole place can hear him talking about, I know, just give me two more minutes to this and that, and saying things about they shouldn't have come, and they shouldn't have bothered, a lot of stuff with the ref. So it was just, it was a bad look for Morgan Park. It was, it gave the fans who paid a lot of money to be there and were excited about it, a bad feeling about the event they decided to attend. It just wasn't good. And yeah, the game ended up close and it ended up, in overtime, but to me, once you don't play a single starter for the second quarter of a game, the whole thing's just been, it's kind of a farce. Simeon didn't do the, no, no, no issue with Simeon. You know, they were on time. They tried in the first half. You know, they, after the game got out of hand, they decided, you know what, forget this. And then that was weird as well. Last three minutes of the game, Evanston literally stood there with the ball while we watched the clock run down. So it was bad. And I, I guess my, the point of my take is, the city suburban showdown is bigger than the CPS powers and they need to show that they need to prove that they need to get their mojo back. Tell these teams, you don't, we don't need you go out and assemble a lineup next year, pack that place without them, make the CPS teams want to get back in that event, make them appreciate it. That is the way forward for this city suburban showdown, not kowtowing and moving things. Who knows when the CPS Final Four is going to be next year. We don't know if there's going to be one. <laughs> so they can't plan around that. They need to make the best possible event without them. It is hard to do. I will say it will be hard to do going forward doing that. I mean, you can – because what, what they have been able to do with that event over 20 years is literally have, for the most part, not every single year, just fantastic – matchups with high-level talent, elite teams. And I go back to probably the best high school game I've covered in 20 years was in that event and the most hyped game. In fact, I build it as the game of the decade when Young and Quentin Richardson played Corey Maggette and Fenwick. It was just a, unbelievable. That was up at Northwestern. And I think that's hurt them as well, that whole ridiculous rule of you cannot play on a college campus an event like that, if if you're a outsider, um, it's a it's a it's a rule that took place, and you know they had it at Northwestern was kind of their home, uh, built in there. You I went to UIC I think for a year or two, but uh, it, it is hard when you're so used to putting together Mike that elite level talent, and then you're excluding, especially right now, the best teams because they are the best teams. Yeah, well, um, but the crowd was eighty to ninety percent Evanston and Stevenson people. Yeah, well, that that that, that that's you know as far as a money making those two teams yeah could have played seats. one another. Yeah, um, my my second take is, and I don't know if the IHSA listens to our podcast ever. I'm guessing no, <laughs> but uh, Matt Troja wrote a story about us, Joe, so he's at least listened once or twice. Uh, um. The the Elgin sectional, the seeds came out last week, and the Elgin sectional. Now, the backstory here is this: this whole subsectional thing, where because of geographical region, re- reasons, they form these subsectionals, where they group teams in two little subsectionals based on geography, to alleviate travel problems. Every single school in this sectional had put a petition to the IHSA with all the principals signed on. Every team in the sectional 
please allow us not to have or not have to play in a subsectional this year. All right. So my first question is, why wouldn't the IHSA take that into consideration when all of your member schools in a sectional are asking you in a very formal way, a letter signed by all the principals to not have a subsectional in our sectional? That's the first part because they didn't do it. They put them back right back into subsectionals. The second part, they put the sectional together, Mike, and you go look at the seating and how they place teams. It is literally like, it's just ridiculous. Yes, they tried to do it. I mean, first of all, they've already done the, the, the subsectional because of you know travel and geography, and then they do it within the subsectionals. That makes no sense. Like a Larkin is a five seed playing a play-in game against their, their rival Elgin, while a nine seed... Crystal Lake Central gets a bye into the regional semifinals. It makes no sense. Then you've grouped all these seeded teams together in these sectionals, subsectionals, and all the higher seeds are in one regional. And then, as an example, Jacobs is the one seed, and they've got the nine seed, the 10 seed, the 11 seed, all in their regional. While St. Charles East has... The three seed, the six, seven, the five seed, the six seed, the seven seed, and the eight seed. So the, the subsectional, particularly in the Elgin, is ridiculous. And the IHSA should be ashamed of, first of all, ignoring your member schools that they have no problem with the travel. So why do they? And then two, this hodgepodge of, of seating in the sectional, which makes absolute no sense. And, and and quit telling me about travel and distance when you've taken DeKalb out of the sectional and sent them to Hinsdale Central, bypassing multiple regionals, uh, dozens of schools on their way to Hinsdale for the, I don't know how many mile trek that is. So it, it Come on, IHSA. You got, I mean, you've got some issues, I know, and, 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 and everybody's harping on you to do this and do that. But some of these things are so simple and easy to take care of by just listening to your member schools. There's my rant. There you go. Yeah, you know, the more we think about it, what happened was, it, to me, it seems like they tried to take what worked so well in two classes and keep that while splitting to four. And so they've got all this ridiculous stuff. And it's been ridiculous from the start. So, yeah, I agree with all of which you said, um, <laughs> I have not, that sounds, horrible. I mean, actually I was talking, Joe and I, you know, talk a little bit before the podcast and it's been such a busy weekend that I have not been able to sit down and fill out my brackets for, for the three and four, a like I always do. So I have zero thoughts at this point on that. Gonna, that's my big plan for the uh, Monday afternoon. I'm going to sit down and get to work on that. I'm looking forward to it. Actually, it's fun to take a virgin bracket and fill it out with the whole state run, but my second take is going to be a happy one. How about that? Um, what a weekend. I mean, the basketball was up and down here or there. Frankly, you know, a lot of the games I saw weren't super high quality. We knew that. this That's what this season is. But, you know, the fans didn't seem to care. Uh, Joliet, it's 1.30 on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. You all saw what it was like on Saturday. I'm driving down to Joliet, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I'd go to a high school basketball game in a dark old gym today um, if I didn't have to. You know, I didn't. I don't know what the attendance will be like. Well, I think they had over 4,000 people in there. 
Uh, I don't, if you've never been to Joliet Central, it's the, one of the old gyms built in 1900 or 1901, and the the stands extend well past the court. Um, I don't know how many feet or anything like that on bed, but but extremely far past the court on both ends of the court and on both sides of the court. So they, there's a lot of people packed in there. I got there at about uh, one o'clock, and I had to sit on the very top rafter, and the seat was far. The court was far to my left. Like if I looked straight ahead, there was no basketball being played. Um, the place just packed with people to watch the two Joliet teams go at it. It was a wonderful atmosphere. Just everything you want high school basketball to be. It felt like a Friday night, <laughs> and it was Saturday afternoon. The game was scrappy. You know, the two teams know each other too well, that kind of thing. Just absolutely awesome. Then, you know, I get in my car, drive up to Arlington Heights, go to Robert Morris, which is a place I'd never been before. As far as I know, it's never held a meaningful high school basketball event before. Totally new venue. And they almost packed that place. You know, several thousand fans there for an expensive ticket to see that game. You know, it was when I walked in to Robert Morris, you know, kind of was one of the first people in there getting the lay of the land. I didn't know what I thought, to be honest with you, of the venue itself. Seemed kind of common. I didn't like all the space, you know, behind the baskets. Worried me a little bit. It was like a smaller Sears Center. It'll give you an idea. But once the people came in, that totally went away. It was a really cool venue. They're closer to the, the court than I'd realized, you know, before they were in there. And it, it felt really great. A lot of energy in there. It was fun. And then, you know, Sunday, head down to Chicago State. And there's a lot of problems with getting into Chicago State. If you haven't been there, you got to wait to pay to park. And then you got to come in. So it's generally a late arriving crowd. Well, by half, you got to go through security, all that stuff. By halftime of the city title game, it's packed even up in the rafters. There were fans everywhere, and to see in three distinct areas. I mean, you can't get more distinct than Joliet, Arlington Heights, and the south side of Chicago. That's covering, you know, the majority of our area. To see the passion and the fans to come out without a single, you know, lottery pick or some big-name guy to go see. They were just there to watch high school basketball. It was just a great sign for our sport, and just kudos to the fans for it. You helped make some not great games, really great experiences. And it was kind of a nice capper to the regular season for me. And that leads into basically our rewind here of the weekend. And uh, I guess we'll start with the city public league. And, you know, we mentioned in the, in the, in the opening, the, the public league semifinals were not just two kind of sloppy games that, you know, I, I, again, these, you you mentioned how the Joliet schools know each other so well. That's that's something really in the city that people take for granted is how well everybody knows each other in the city. They play each other. They see each other. They, I mean, they're going to other teams' games. They're in gyms watching. I mean, they just know each other. And uh, I, I think that plays a little bit into it at this time of year in the city playoffs. But what we didn't see in the semifinals – what uh, what we did see in the final, and that was just a high energy, ultra competitive, feisty two feisty teams getting after each other in Simeon Morgan Park. We wouldn't expect anything less of that, which has become the best rivalry. But one of my things about Morgan Park, and we'll talk about the champion Simeon, but two things about Morgan Park. This I, I've talked about this before that this is not the most talented Morgan Park team they've had in the last handful of years, but I'm going to say this is maybe the best 
coaching job Nick Irvin's done. And in terms of getting to them to the point where they're at, competing for a city final, going down the stretch, what could be another run to Peoria and a potential state champion. Uh, he's got some things to figure out from a personnel standpoint that I think are tricky. And, and particularly with Namari Burnett, who I think Mike and I have both talked about, you know, away from the podcast, just being a talent that, man, you got to get him on the floor and, be, and, and more opportunity. And, but yet it's kind of hard because him and uh, Burnett and Cam Irvin both play. He just got pieces. Like, you know, he, two of the three have to be on the floor, LJ, Lamont Johnson, and, and uh, Cam Irvin and uh, Burnett. Yeah. Well, Io's got to be on the floor all the time. But I'm talking about those three guys. Two of them got to be with Io. And Johnson is the physical presence, the d- d- much better defender. Uh, Burnett can do a little bit more offensively. Cam is your your, your senior to kind of you maybe trust a little bit more, can shoot the three. So it is kind of hard to figure out with those four guys, including Io now, uh, piecing together the minutes and, and opportunities that those guys have. But I just think this is not the most talented Morgan Park team we've seen, yet they are competing and playing at a high level against the city's best. And I – I just think Nick Irvin's done a, a, a really good job in getting this team to this point at this time of the year. Yeah, I mean, most of these teams aren't as talented as they have been in the past, but I think you're totally right because of the four Final Four teams, Curie, Young, Simeon, Morgan Park, I think we'd agree Morgan Park is clearly the least talented. I agree. And they came within a hair's breadth of winning it all. Right, they knocked off yeah. Curie, which neither one of us said would happen. And and I think we even said that would be the biggest surprise if it happened over the weekend. I think if in last week's Stevenson podcast, Stevenson beating Morgan Park would, was going to be the biggest surprise. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> that right. Happened too. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, yeah, it's totally. And they beat Morgan. I mean, it was it was a close game until the last you know few seconds. But you know, Morgan Park solidly won that game. You're totally right. I think one my takeaway one of my takeaways from the the two Morgan Park games was Mello Burrell. I I think he's. It, and it's been coming. If you've watched Morgan Park over the last month or so, he's playing really well. I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with him college-wise, but some more than it should be, I'm guessing, should be going on. Because I'm sure he's a qualifier. You know, he's a good kid. And he's just putting up the double-doubles against high-quality teams. And he's going out and hitting that three. You know, one he's getting one or two per game. You know, and he's not mm-hmm. he's not missing a bunch of them either. I don't know how great of an outside shooter he's going to be, but he's his game is evolving. Is my point. You know, as a six seven guy who's athletic, he, to me he's a very interesting prospect, and he's one of those names where, if he was a bigger name and had been a bigger name younger, and maybe had had some better summers, people would be like, oh, this is what we expected all along, and he should all that kind of stuff. Whereas since he wasn't, I think people are sort of surprised by how well he's played. And then, and then, and then Simeon, man, we've talked about, I mean, Messiah Jones, you've talked a lot about him. He was terrific at Pontiac. He's had, he had a monster game in the semifinal. Um, And then Kizo Brown, I've been talking about. So these two juniors aren't even the two juniors who are getting all the offers and all the interest, which is Taylor Horton Tucker. And, but these two juniors, Wow, they, uh, Kizo was was big time uh, in that city final. So I, I just see these juniors. You know, it's 
I, I, I know a lot of times these top players, when they're juniors, are still more experienced because they've played a lot of varsity ball. But, I mean, these are guys are still young, still learning as that junior year is progressing. And I just see these guys kind of, you know, particularly Kizo Brown and Messiah Jones from Christmas on, just becoming such impactful players uh, that, I mean, that's why I think Simeon is where they're at right now, and they are clearly the team to beat in Class 4A. Yeah, it's it's a little troubling. I think people haven't noticed, really, that everybody's back next year except for Gilliard. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to lose Madison Lowry, you know, big man off the bench. But And one of the things I'm going to be looking at over the next month is trying to find out what team can compete with them next year. Well, Young will have a ton of talent back, too. Yeah, but they lose a lot. You know, they have Freeman, you know, back. But losing Lucas Williamson. I yeah, I just know. like their it's, I like their young guys. I mean, and you got they have you know, some good Freeman. freshmen too. Even I saw they, they definitely yeah. have them coming through, but they're not going to be Freeman, Castaneda, and um, Beard, and Miles Baker is going to be really good in, in time, and uh, Kasikowski's back. I mean, they're going to be oh boy. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it, yeah, I it's, mean, a, it's a piece. Boy, and why I, wasn't Beard playing? You know, I, I'm guessing that Young made the decision to have him play in the sophomore tournament, but they really missed him in that Simeon game. To me, that was just a huge loss for Young. I mean, that, they lost by 11 points to Simeon. I did not see that coming. Well, it was a weird game, too. I mean, because I, I didn't think Simeon particularly played well uh, in that game, yet still won by double digits. Young was terrible. Uh, and Young, fourth quarter, was just, they got stuck on 40 forever. It was 40-40, and then the game was over. Young uh, had three starters that combined for three points. Yeah, I mean, it, they they it was a flat performance from Young, and uh, but I, overall, those both those games, I just sat through those games and thought, oh, these are not no, very and, good. And they were, it's games. very interesting to me too. Both uh, in both games, teams and and throughout the, the weekend, the city teams just sit back on defense. You know, there's no pressure really. You know, they'll pressure you a little bit in the half court. Morgan Park will a little bit, but, but not yeah, much, yeah, Curie, yeah. I mean, I. So, yeah, I, I, but I mean, you, you go back, I mean, I think the, I mean, not I think, I know the four best teams were in the final four and all four of those teams, Morgan Park, especially because of the road they have all of them. Well, I mean, Curie and Young will run into each other, but three of those four, I expect to be playing in Peoria. Yeah, it would, uh, boy, I'm. Curie's been disappointing to me. You know, it's time to come out and say it. They were disappointing at Pontiac. They were disappointing. And then they went on a run with Impress. And then, so, but in the two big, high-profile, marquee times to kind of. To big tournaments, they didn't come through. Yeah, right. So it'll be interesting to see if they can turn it on for this this run. Let's, well, I mean, I addressed the City Suburban Shootout a bit. The Stevenson-Morgan Park game, I don't even really want to talk about it. It, it was a nightmare. Um, I don't know if you do. Well, no, and then, you know, I wasn't at the Joliet Central, Joliet West, other than seeing the Michael O'Brien coverage uh, <laughs> the, the, the last minute. Uh, video. But I, just give me a snapshot since I wasn't there, my own personal, uh, of that game. I mean, I – I picked Joliet West. You picked Joliet Central. We both thought it would be, I think you did too, a down-to-the-wire finish, just two competitive teams. I just find it interesting that they're going to come back, these two rivals, come back again, and, and most likely again, 
and play in a huge one for all the marbles in a sectional semifinal. Yeah, I didn't technically. Everybody thinks I technically I picked Central. I said Central should be the favorite. <laughs> I don't pick in a West Central game. All right. But I feel like Central wasn't getting enough credit for being at home because it's tough for anybody to come in there and play. Um, you know, Central dominated. This is the problem. The problem, basically what I came away with was I'm worried again about Joliet West. And I, I was worried a lot in the beginning of the season, and Joe, you kept telling me to stop it. But then I think you became worried <laughs> as yeah. well. No, I, 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 I have. This, this game is worrisome because Joliet Central, literally all five guys on the court are smaller than all five guys for Joliet West, and Central dominated the boards. They wanted it more. And they don't have the talent Joliet West does. It, it was that was upsetting to see. That's how Central stayed in the game. They shot poorly. They're just they're junkyard dogs. You can see why they're the only team that's been able to beat Wheaton South. They're probably the only team that plays as hard as Wheaton South in the whole area. You know, and it was one of those things. Trevian Bell played well. You know, he had 15 points. He scored seven. What what I what I really wanted. Key basket in the whole game. Trevian Bell goes down on the block. He gets a feed. You know, he's a quick leaper. You know, he, he can leap high. He's a good finisher. And he turns around, hits that post basket. That is what Joliet West needs. Tired of this perimeter stuff. Get Bell on the block with Elijah Ward and feed the post. I think that's their way through. They did it when they needed it. I want to see more of that this in the playoff run, less of the up and down, especially against a Bolingbrook team. I know they've got some bodies, but that's what I was thinking with them. With Joliet Central, they can definitely beat West, you know, in that game in the playoffs. There's no yeah. doubt about it, and that's going to go either way. It's going to be at a, a neutral site. It's going to be tough. JoJo McNair played really well. Jose Grubbs. If Central had won that game, would I think it would have had a good, decent all-area case. You know, he had 13 points, 14 rebounds, does a bit of everything. He'll be a nice get for some college. You know what? Uh, we can't forget about this past weekend is on Friday, I put up a story on the unbeaten, the historical look at unbeaten teams because of the fact we had four of them in the Chicago area, two of which went down this past weekend. Tough weekend for Geneva. St. Charles North beats them on Friday. Then they go down to Quincy, lose to Quincy. Bolingbroke uh, loses to Lincoln Way East. Sam you know, Schaefer. Th- there was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there there was, you know, this thought in my head, I, I, and I wrote this in my story, is I just love the idea of undefe- undefeated teams. I think it's cool. I like that 28-0, 30-0, that whole storyline. And I had this, and I didn't think it was going to happen because I thought, Somebody would get upset or beat in the regular season or fall short in the postseason. I just had this thought of Geneva playing Bolingbrook in the super sectional, both being like 31 and 0 and 20, 30 and 0. It'd been really cool, but it didn't happen. Bolingbrook, however, I mean, that I had talked to Coach Bros, Rob Bros, during the week a little bit. And, you know, he had mentioned Malik Benz might not be able to play. They're banged up. Uh, Cochran's banged up. Uh, Nana Atkinson is. I think missed majority of the week of practice with just nursing some injuries. So when you take bins, not taking anything away from that's a big win for Lincoln way East. Congratulations. They're going to be a sleeper and a dangerous team in March. But you know, you take bins off the, I, I, when I broke this Bolingbrook team down uh, in a previous unbeaten story, it was a, just a common thought of what Malik 
Spins brings to that Bolingbroke team. A presence, physicality, uh, takes up space, rebounder, a finisher. And you lose that, that, that's a big loss. So, you know, Bolingbroke did lose. They lost by one. They're no longer undefeated. It might take some pressure off of them going into the postseason. Yeah, maybe not the worst thing. Uh, for Bolingbrook State title aspirations, but I we definitely we need to hit Evanston now. You know, I didn't I don't want to talk about the Stevenson Morgan Park game, but I'll start. I'll talk about Simeon Evanston. You know, it was one of those games where, and this keeps happening to Evanston. I have trouble because Morgan Park was late, and because the game went into overtime. I had to write during the Evanston Simeon game because that game had to go the Simeon the Morgan Park game had to go in the paper. The plan was to put the Simeon game in the paper. But since it was so late, we had to change plans. You know, the print deadline is still my master. So the whole first half is, you know, I was watching, but not, I'm not keeping stats and paying attention like I should. Every time I looked up, Evanston was hitting a shot. <laughs> they, they were just, they were playing spectacular. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And, you know, I, they got a nice bump in the rankings this week. I think they deserve all the credit for that. They showed... You know, they don't need No Gel Eastern to score, but I think they've kind of shown that all year. They, they've played really well with No Gel. No Gel did what he needed, which was rebounding. He got nine boards. That was huge. And, you know, majority of those, maybe even kind of all of them, I, would, I think were in the first half. They needed the rebounding effort. And so that's what he focused on. That's what he got done. Uh, he had the big miss dunk, which sadly is going to be one of the bigger memories for most people from that event because he made an amazing move to get there was one guy between him and the basket and he just juked him out of his i don't remember who it was but out of his shoes it was beautiful then he's clear clear onto the hoop skies it looked like 20 feet in the air and comes down throws it down and it you know bounces way off the rim so that it was an awesome moment maybe not the one nogel's gonna want to remember but credit to Evanston for that game because they came out and they blitzed Simeon to the point where Simeon packed it up in the third quarter and was like, we can't come back. This isn't worth it. Let's save it for tomorrow. Um, So I think it was important for Evanston to get that win that we've talked about that they needed for the last two years. And, And I don't think we should take away from it just because of the city title was the next day. They, they, no, you can't, they but I will. I mean, they did. And they, they obviously played well and did what they needed to do. I, I mean, we, we don't know where Simeon's focus was from the moment that tip that game tipped off. and it, it We don't know. I mean, I'm assuming that it wasn't their biggest priority in, in that weekend. But, the, again, taking nothing away from Evanston. It, it wasn't, but it wasn't last year either, and they still beat Evanston this, bad. Yeah. So, well, and I go, I, this is our – I clearly see a different we, – we've had this debate a little bit. I clearly see a different Evanston team than last year, and they're starting to show that. I, I just continue to believe, Mike, that they've that the schedule has been underestimated. I, actually, I'm writing about it a little bit this week. Just this out of as I researched these out of state teams that they've played, they've played seven of them, and they're all at least six of them are all having fantastic seasons, state ranked, and they've beaten a few of them. They they, they play the number eight team in the country to a two point loss. So, I mean, they've played this schedule that I don't think any of us can, unless you are a basketball nerd like me, goes and researches it, <laughs> didn't really take into consideration. Their league is down this year. There's no doubt about that, the Central Suburban League South. But, you know, they've, they've beaten Conant and Prospect and now Simeon, and, and they've played this out-of-state schedule. So they've kind of set themselves up to be the clear favorite in their sectional and then to set up, 
you know, again, we're shooting way down the road here, but uh, to set up a huge super sectional, which we would uh, anticipate it being Evanston playing in Chicago at Chicago State against either uh, Curie or Young. Uh, I, I just think it's kind of been pieced together how they thought it would. Um, I, I, I guarantee when the season started, well, I, I can guarantee it because I talked to Mike Ellis about this. I'm not sure Mike Ellis thought they would have the record they would have right now with the schedule he had put together. And yeah. For the rankings, folks, um, and the reason why, and this is my minute, why Evanston isn't higher, even counting those wins Joe talked about, if you give them the four wins over the, and you count them as area ranked teams, they still just have eight over ranked teams anywhere. And that's why they're not higher. And as Joe said, the conference down really hurts them. Simeon has 11, and that's significantly more. And that's why, you know, they stay, Whitney Young has 10. You know, and I'm not counting any of their out of state wins. They could have 12, you know, if you do that. So even counting, those out-of-state wins, they still don't have the mass of good wins. And, and that's an issue for me in the rankings. Joe's point that it's helping improve them is 100% correct. You know, we're, we're seeing that. They beat Simeon. They couldn't do that last year, even with the distracted Simeon both times. So that's great. But they just don't have the resume to be number one when too many area teams have more good wins than them, even with counting those wins and to say yeah, the win over Simeon gives them number one Bogan beats Simeon Morgan Parks beats Simeon that isn't a, your ticket to number one and some of the wins you know like uh, Altoff they smashed Belleville Altoff and if that was a smashing with Jordan Goodwin on the floor would have made a huge uh, difference yeah it, it's a it's a monumental win for them um, so anyway I, I just uh, want to real quick Mike talk about two other teams that real quick Downers Grove South uh, has kind of been a forgotten team. We we had them both. You and I, everybody <laughs> had them ranked last in the two years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they you know went on a got off to a slow start. Then went on a run. Then really hit a mid season. They, they they you know yeah. lost four or five out of seven six games and and now you know they, starting with this win over Kenwood, you know they have put together a nice little run. And then they followed it up with beating a Willowbrook team this past weekend, uh, 58-48 over Willowbrook. That was, you know, 20, I don't know what they were, 23-2, and 24-2. So this just kind of makes Downer South all of a sudden now this team that was ranked in the preseason that has a pair of Division One caliber players that has won now six, seven out of eight games is a number eight seed in the sectional. And so that that's just a one team that I just kind of want to make note of. And the other one is Bloom. They just went and crushed Crete Money, 69 to 41. And Bloom is a team that we've seen a lot of this year. Beat Thornton this uh, week too. Yeah. I mean, Bloom is a dangerous, dangerous team right now. They, they have, uh, you know, they had a, a one point loss of Thornwood. If you take that away, they would, you know, they've won eight or nine out of 10 and, I just think Bloom. What seat are they in that sectional? Uh, I don't know. I haven't done my. Uh, <laughs> I've got it up here. Also, Bloom didn't have their point guard for that loss to um, Thornwood. Okay. So yeah. So oh, Bloom wow. right now they're the sixth is, seed, and they get Thornwood probably in the first round. Oh yeah. So Thornwood. I mean, that's going to be a grind of a of a road, and then they play Thornton, Thornton and then they got to yeah. play Brother Rice or HF. Or, 
So it's 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 gonna be a long way before Bloom gets to a shot at at Simeon or, or but I, I'm just saying these two teams are are seated a little a little bit low uh, for kind of who we thought they were and now maybe living up to what we thought they were. Definitely. Um, they're gonna hit the weekend here or the week a little bit. We've got yeah. Prospect, and this is the game. I, I don't know where I'm going on Wednesday. I can't decide. Notre Dame is at St. Patrick. That's a great rivalry. Sometimes readers love those schools, love to read about them. They're both having yes, good years. Game. So, and it's going to be the atmosphere is going to be awesome. I love that gym. Haven't been there yet this year. Problem is, St. Pat's is just on a schneid. So I'm a little worried about that. Um, same night is Prospect from. I don't know offhand where that one is. Um, I think it's at Prospect. Oh, it is geez. at Prospect. Okay, and so I, I, and that's that's enticing because I kind of. You know, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know I like Fremd, but I kind of think Prospect's going to knock him off. And now it's at Prospect, so you could see an undefeated go down, maybe. So mm-hmm. where where do I go, Joe? <laughs> I don't know. Ah, uh, that's that's cool. I'd probably have to say Prospect. Um, Ooh, okay. You know, I, I and you know, and another measuring stick game. Uh, it doesn't matter for the conference standings because Wheaton South, I, I believe, I, yeah, they've locked that thing up. But Naperville North has won now. Um, <laughs> let me see. Uh, they've won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 straight, uh, including a win over Evanston. And now they're playing Wheaton South. And, you know, that's going to be a potential sectional game as well. But. That's an intriguing game on Wednesday night. I mean, we, we, it doesn't mean for conference, but Wheaton South would still like to finish this thing off with an unbeaten conference record. Um, so that's another good game Wednesday well, night. That, that, oh, geez. I didn't even realize that. That's too bad that's not some other yeah. night. Um, Friday, I haven't really looked. Have you looked at all? Sorry. That, it was a busy uh, weekend. <laughs> I have not there seen isn't much. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at it right now, other than the regional championship games in 1A, 2A, which we'll talk real quickly about. But uh, yeah, at we're first, looking, uplift or you know is is probably where I'll be. That's why I haven't bothered to uh, check out the Friday schedule. I'm giving. Yeah, there's nothing Friday of significance. Okay, yeah. So then definitely, I'll, I'll be at the uplift. Likely, it will be uplift or it looks like or has to deal with Wells in the first round, which isn't a gimme. Antoine Lampkin is a little blue division star. He can shoot you out of the gym. But yeah, that that's gonna be a fun one. It's at Or Or is the heavy favorite, but we know what Or can. Well, maybe you don't think Or is the heavy favorite. I don't think they're a heavy favorite, but be, they're certainly the favorite because they're at Or. Yeah, I mean, that it's just a tough place to play at Or uh, on a Friday night. I don't know if that'll matter or make it different at 7 p.m. as opposed to all those Or games being at five. You know, oh, after they school always play late. They don't uh, start until 6.30. Okay, so, yeah. you know, I, I I keep waiting for Uplift to rise to the occasion, and they were confident this would be the year that they could do it. They didn't get to a, a city semifinal. They didn't make the, the big, you know, uh, signature moment at Proviso West. They didn't – so they it's their last chance, and it's the most important test. But, you know, the winner of that game, Mike – I mean, I know they're going to have a DePaul prep having to win, you know, down the road or maybe or, but I mean, it's not, I mean, the winner of that game has a legitimate shot of then winning a state championship. Yeah, we've seen, and that DePaul prep, you know, he's, they're tough to beat. 
you know, they're not winning all the games. They lost to St. Lawrence, was it this week or whatever? But St. Lawrence is yeah. playing well. DePaul Prep is one of those teams you don't want to play. It's go- no. They're going to be in it, and they can definitely knock off the or uplift winner. You know, they're going to have a crowd behind them no yeah, matter where they play. Exactly. They won't be favored to, but, man, that is going to be a, a really tough game. And whoever gets that – and then see, that's the problem, though. If or uplift gets past DePaul – might be tough to see them losing again, but I'm an expert on two A. Whereas if DePaul wins that game, right, they're more. That, that's why I think why out. that's why I think if Uplift can somehow find a way to win at Or, not that it becomes easy, but I mean I, I just see a, a big weight. It sounds funny, a weight lifted off your shoulders in the regional play, but then I kind of just see Uplift kind of put it together and then and, and finding a way to get to Peoria and, and bringing home a state trophy. So. That's going to be the biggest game Friday night for sure. Um, 1A hoops, you know, that that is starting up today. Uh, it's Monday we record this. We've got two teams in the area, Hope Academy, which has got a huge winning streak too, you know, probably the same or more than Naperville North. Now that Bolingbroke and Geneva lost, obviously we have Frem's run, but I'm trying to think who has the longest winning streaks. Um, yeah. Hope Academy's up there. And they're gonna—they have a nice road locally. So does Harvest. Well, Harvest Christian isn't local. They're playing. Yeah, Pecatonic is sectional, <laughs> but you—you've uh, you, got you know if all things go according to how you and I—and again, we're not one <laughs> A basketball experts—but if they go how we think they'll go, I believe you think this that Hope would play Harvest Christian in a super sectional in DeKalb. Which would be kind of cool. I mean, um, yeah. Hope sectional is at home. They get to play their sectional in their own gym, you know, against the likes of, well, they got to get through their their, their subsectional. But, um, you know, Luther North is at a nice season. They're in there. Um, you know, Chicago Robeson. It's, but I mean, it's hopes to lose. Yeah. Or hopes to win. You know, I mean, I, I just think they're. Yeah, Hope and Harvest Christian have players that could play on any of the Super 25 teams. You know, mm-hmm. not all of them, but they each have probably three that could do that. These are a talented teams. They don't quite have the depth, you know, of some Super 25 teams. But, yeah, if you go and see them play, is what I'm saying, you're going to see some guys you like. They, they definitely have some stuff. It's going to be fun to see if they can both make it through. What I did find interesting, just a score watching, is I, I have to double check, but Harvest Christian will play – According to the seeds, I mean, the four seed is Schaumburg Christian. And I think I'm going to lose it now. I believe um, they beat Schaumburg Christian by just two points this past week. Uh, but there you I, go. Oh, on uh, we mention, uh, Saturday, I'm going to the plan right now in the afternoon, I'm going to head over to Roe Clark, which is actually pretty close to my. My house and watch the Noble Athletic title game, which I did two years ago. I think I missed it last year, so I will finally get a look at Butler and the Nesbits. So I'm excited about that. I guess I'm assuming Butler's in that game. I think they are. Yeah, um, I yeah. So, um, so that should be fun. Uh, Tion Nesbit. I hope that both of the Nesbits are playing. Um, I'm looking forward to that. But that's I think it for the weekend. Yeah, that's that's uh, HF Stag is on Thursday. Not a bad game, um, but uh, yeah. Well, and then next week we'll get into uh, the big uh, episode of previewing our all those regionals and a little bit maybe our state tournament final picks. Yeah, I think we'll we'll make our picks and then we're gonna take it a little slower than we have in previous years. Kind of focus on regionals, then focus on sectionals. Blah blah blah. Kind of do it that way instead of just talking weird bracket stuff for forty minutes at everybody, but. 
Uh, that'll do it for this week. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Thank you.